Going viral is just based on luck, right? Like you can't really predict when a video is going to go viral and there aren't really any consistent elements into what makes something blow up and go mega viral. That's at least what I thought prior to today's conversation and I'm so excited to share this episode, episode number four of Social Media Moneymakers with you. Today I am bringing on expert Hillary Billings who is a viral content creator and that's a term that's kind of thrown around quite a bit in the content creator space but I truly feel like of anyone I've ever met, Hillary completely embodies what it means to be a viral content creator. She has mastered what it means to go viral. And I'm not talking about a couple hundred thousand views. I'm talking about dozens of videos, over 10 million, and her most viewed video on TikTok at over 70 million views. But Hillary is so much more than just a content creator who knows how to go viral on social media. She is an awesome business owner and such a genuine, authentic person with a really powerful backstory that I think a lot of us can draw inspiration from. In today's episode, Hillary will be sharing the three main components that are essential for having a video go viral and how you can strategically and formulaically have repeated viral success without having to play the guessing game. We also dive deep into the negative side of virality, which is the haters and the trolls that seem to come out of the woodworks whenever one of your videos start to blow up. We talk about how to deal with those people and how to frame them or what stories we can tell ourselves in our own mind to help deal with the negativity. Hillary is truly such a pleasure and this was such a great conversation, so I'm so excited to share it with you. Without further ado, here's the interview. Hillary, welcome to the Social Media Moneymakers podcast. I'm so stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, super excited to have you on the show. And, um, you know, this is really a testament to the power of the DMs. You reached out to me via direct message on Instagram. Uh, we got connected. I saw some of your socials. Um, but I'm really excited to have you on the show because kind of like we were talking about pre-show, um, my first three guests were all people who I'm very familiar with, longtime friendship, relationships, gotten to know over the years. But you're someone who's very new to me. And so I'm excited to get to kind of dive into your story myself along with the audience and the listeners today. So um, this is going to be exciting and I really appreciate you for being here. I'm so excited and I appreciate you even reading your DMs. Again, such a testament to the power of social media and just reaching out and making something happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so let's start with what is the first sentence of your bio when we read about you on your website, which is that you are a burn survivor and former Miss Nevada. So I would love if you could kind of yeah. give me the elevator pitch story of, of what allowed you uh, to be here today. My life has been a series of starts and stops, and I would say the most happy accident that I could have imagined. I graduated with my degree in psychology, thinking I was gonna go on to become a professor of clinical psychology, and I was the top of my class graduate. Uh, they literally gave me an outstanding graduate award at UNLV, and then I went on to be the proud recipient of 14 rejection letters after that from every doctoral program that I applied to. And thinking my life was over, I did what any college student would do at that point in time, and I took off to Nicaragua and I started a travel blog. Now, this was in the early 2010s, and at the time I thought my life was over, and I was so upset that it didn't look the way that I thought that it wanted to, and I was writing about it, and I was traveling these beautiful places and meeting these amazing people, 
And I didn't realize at the time that I had fallen into my first bout of creating content. Mm -hmm. And I was attracting an audience of people from all over the world who too had been promised, if you do these things, if you do X, Y, and Z, and you, and you follow the rules, you will get what you want at the end of the road. And now the American dream that we all wanted was no longer a guarantee. In fact, it wasn't even a promise anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it was really starting to facilitate this conversation as to what you wanted your life to look at and have it look like. So I was in the midst of, being this nomadic traveler and living around the world. And I had just gotten back from living with the Firewalker in tribe, the Firewalker tribe in Fiji. Wow. And they claim to be the originators of the practice of walking on hot coals. And there's so much mystery and mysticism in their tribe. It was the most incredible life experience. I it couldn't have paid to have had because you can't go there unless you're invited by the tribe themselves. Um, and I was having a really hard time acclimating back to life in America. And it mm. was around the 4th of, it was the 4th of July. And a friend of mine was having a barbecue. And it was one of those weird days where everything in my life was telling me not to go. I couldn't find my keys. I mm. broke a glass. I stepped on the glass, couldn't find the clothes I wanted to wear. I end up at this party anyway. And they light off the first firework of the night and it, everything goes silent because the fuse goes up, but nothing happens. So we know that something weird is about to happen. And then the firework explodes in completely the wrong direction and completely not a pretty way. The fuse is on fire and it travels 30 feet and it curves around and it comes back and it hits my sunglasses and goes down my shirt. And I ended up suffering second and third degree burns to my chest and my stomach. So now, fun fact, the chest is the slowest healing part of the body. Um, doctors didn't know what my healing time would look like. They didn't know if I'd look normal. and. I had a lot of shame and embarrassment about being involved in this accident, even though it was totally a freak situation. No one could have planned for it. And so I spent the next six months just holed up uh, in my house in Vegas trying to heal. And I'm still writing about these travel experiences, but I was really sitting in a deep pity for mm -hmm. myself and being in, in this and not feeling feminine. Didn't know when I'd feel feminine or beautiful again. Wow. So I got to the turn of the year and I was just so tired of feeling sorry for myself. And I knew I had to find a way to get outside of my comfort zone. And on my blog, The Nomad Grad, I talked a lot about putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and finding a way to make them comfortable as a path for self-growth. And so I was doing that mostly through travel at the time and going and experiencing these different cultures and learning to trust myself in places where I didn't know how to speak the language and trying to find breakfast. And now I was in this place of, I'm in a very familiar life, but I don't know my own body and I don't know how to make peace with myself in this. So I thought through what's the most uncomfortable thing that I could do in this moment. And nothing sounded more uncomfortable than getting on stage in a bikini and having someone judge me based upon my appearance. So I entered a beauty pageant. And I had my own preconceived notions as to what it meant to be a beauty queen and uh, that I was more intelligent than that and that I had more drive and ambition than that. And I certainly didn't expect to win. And so going into the pageant, meeting all these incredibly ambitious and smart women who understood the power of how to utilize any platform to get ahead and to get their message out into the world. And this was the medium in which they've chosen. Um, and then I went on to win. Uh, and a year to the day that I was burned, I was competing on the national stage in swimsuit preliminaries, which was just a really nice full circle moment for my life. And I went on to work with the Burn Institute and the Southern Nevada Firefighters and Burn Foundation. And shortly thereafter, USA Today called. Uh, I had been awarded a 
a, a blogging award by a big entertainment magazine in Las Vegas, and they were interested in having me come on as their Vegas-based journalist and reporter. So I was Miss Nevada, and I was starting my first real paid experience as a journalist, as a full-time content creator. And I think I was about two weeks into my trial run with them where they called me back and they're like, hey, you know, we have an opportunity to send you to the iHeartRadio Music Awards. Would you want to go and be a red carpet host for us? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I can, I can interview celebrities. So I get off the phone and I go freak out about it. <laughs> um, and I had to learn how to make great digital content very quickly. My first interview out the gate was with Ryan Seacrest. Wow. So no, no pressure. <laughs> Just, but what I learned in that interview was that it's not really what you say to people, it's how you make them feel mm. in the interview. And that's what they carry forward with them. And, and you want that same feeling when you're creating any piece of content. So I worked as a journalist for USA Today. I did red carpets, award shows, behind the scene videos, celebrity interviews, I produced for E! News, I worked with Extra Entertainment TV, and it was an incredible content journey of seeing how to make stuff digitally in different ways, not only for the blog, but now as a, an article writer and then also in digital video as that was starting to come up and YouTube was being more prominently featured. And, and even the outlets themselves were seeing a need to make a pivot to video content mm -hmm. within their own sphere. So I think I went a little bit farther, but yeah, going from, it really started when I was rejected from every graduate school I applied to, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then having this big fallout and rock bottom where I was hit with this firework and not knowing what my life would look like to just yeah. trying to find a, a way to, to pivot and get over my own self-confidence issues, which then led into just more uncomfortable situations and learning to be comfortable with more uncomfortable situations, mm -hmm. all the while finding the story and the through line that's going to connect you to people. Wow. That's that's an incredible story. That's oh, insanely you. powerful. Thank you so much for for being willing and vulnerable enough to share that with us. I really do appreciate it. So yeah. much to unpack. Um, <laughs> my my first question that kind of is like bouncing around in my head is how how did you get the confidence or the bravery or um, I don't know what word to use to describe it to be like hey. I am six months in recovery. I'm at this really low point. I, I don't know who I am in my body right now to then being like, I'm going to enter into the beauty pageant. I know you said like you were thinking of what's the most challenging and uncomfortable thing I can do. Is that something like you've always done your whole life? Is that something that is, you know, tough times make tough people? Like what, where did this come from? How is this possible? Great question. I think I've always kept this air of curiosity about what could happen next. Mm. And I think it served me not only then and, and, and any traumatic growth situation in my life, but also as a content creator, right? Because you can't take any particular thing that happens to you and hold it too precious as being a conclusion as to who you are as a person. Mm. And it's really easy to draw that conclusion when you're in that moment of rock bottom, where you're feeling helpless, where you're feeling desperate, where you're feeling hopeless. And I just, I had to come at it from this place of what else could this look like? What could potentially come from it? And sometimes I think the universe brings that to you, especially if you're more receptive, but I was definitely very shut down. So I knew that I had to make a move. And so it wasn't even about, it wasn't about winning, right? It was just what situation can I put myself in to give myself a different perspective and a different way of looking at my life right now and, and a different way of looking at myself. Mm -hmm. um, and that that was the most important thing at the time. And trust me, it was not, I had nightmares 
consistently leading mm -hmm. up to the pageant. I really did not enjoy the experience leading up to the pageant itself. And the pageant itself was such a whirlwind of a couple hours of going through the entire thing. I do remember, I will never forget, that the air conditioning was broken oh, in, no. our, in our theater. It was like 110 degrees. It was May in Las Vegas. And uh, that was the absolute worst. We were all sweating in our gowns. <laughs> But again, like, what's what's the story that can come from this? And that's how I had to look at it, is what can I gain from this experience? What great story could I tell? And mm -hmm. when I made the decision to enter, that's what I convinced myself that I wanted was I'll just get a blog post out of this. I'll I'll be able to to tell them about this wild and wacky adventure that I had mm -hmm. in an effort to and I didn't know. I actually didn't know if it would solve my self-confidence issues. And it turns out it doesn't, right? <laughs> it, it it can in the sense of it showed me what I'm capable of mm -hmm. as far as dealing with my own insecurities and how to show up for myself. And then also how vulnerability and being able to share that story resonates and impacts others. But it certainly wasn't a, oh, well, now I have the crown. So now I'm amazing and I don't struggle with insecurities anymore. Yeah. It certainly wasn't the case. So I think it's about learning to meet yourself in the journey mm. and and just be curious about who you can be. And if nothing else, lowering the stakes a little bit of like, what what would make this a great story? Yeah. And even just like, let me, I almost didn't DM you the other day because I was like, oh, he probably doesn't even, I don't even know if he checks his own messages. I don't know. I'm just going to message him. It'll be great for the plot. We'll yeah. see what happens, right? Yeah. I love <laughs> and, that. I love that you said that. That's the phrase that was coming to mind when you were speaking is yeah. like, do it for the plot. And I love, yeah. I don't know if that blew up, you know, a year or two ago, it became like a meme that that was like, what you tell yourself is I'm just going to do this for the plot and kind of looking yeah. at your life as if it's like a big movie or story that's unfolding and being told. And hey, like, yeah. I'm going to do this for the plot so that when I look back at my life, it's not this night sitting on a couch watching a movie again, but it's that time that I did that crazy thing that no one expected. Yeah me too. Totally. And I think that's where you build the most confidence, right? Is mm -hmm. just being able to show yourself. Like when I was traveling and working as a travel writer and, you know, accidentally building this following of readers in over a hundred countries that I had no idea what to do with at the time. And I'm so mad at myself that I didn't understand the power of it back then. Mm -hmm. But when you're, when you're in a different country, there's, there can be fun and there can be fear in where am I going to get my meal today if I don't speak the language. And this was back before, you know, iPhones had... Google Maps on them. Yeah. So you're just having to figure it out if you don't know where you're going or hope that you interpreted the your innkeeper's directions correctly. And it's just, it becomes an adventure. How can we make this an adventure versus a high stakes thing that I have to win? And the more you can put that experimental hat on and just think about moving through life like a game, like mm -hmm. we're in some sort of simulation or what happens if I open this door? What happens if I open that door? It, it creates an element of play. I can't believe I'm saying this because even in the moment, it feels so serious, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it, it's coming at it from that element of play where you're removing the stakes yeah. that's going to allow the energy to open up to just see what's possible for you. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm understanding correctly, you built the travel vlog or travel yeah. blog, I should say, mm -hmm. um, you know, early 2010s readers in over a hundred countries. Absolutely awesome. And it was just text and I'm going to assume photos. There was not yep. really any video content or YouTube or anything like that. 
nope, that was not even a hint of a glimmer. I think even just the word podcast was starting to get thrown around yeah. more and more consistently in the industry. Gotcha. And I definitely didn't know how to monetize that well. So I took a couple of sponsorships, but mm -hmm. for the most part, I was leveraging that following to one, get me the travel experiences that I wanted to have and say, hey, I'm coming here. I want to write about it. You know, are you willing to sponsor my flight? Are you willing to put me up? I'd love to do a feature. Mm -hmm. So we do it that way and or um, getting writing gigs at these places that I was going and pitching. Gotcha. I just started pitching travel writing magazines as I was going around to see who would be willing to take a story about living on $5 a day in Fiji mm -hmm. and who that would apply to. So that was really where my content career started. Gotcha. So then you become a journalist, you're on the red mm -hmm. carpet, you're interviewing celebrities. How yeah. does that then transition or maybe even when did that transition to now being where you're at with almost a million followers on TikTok yeah. um, and having this like very large social media presence? Yeah, well, I moved to Nashville. I thought that I wanted to be a singer-songwriter, so I, I took a stab at that for a while. I did get a couple songs placed, which was great, but I realized it wasn't the lifestyle or the type of content that I wanted to create. Uh, along the way, I just started having ideas for these videos that I wanted to do while I was working with USA Today, and I had pitched them on it, and they're like, hey, this is a really great concept, but it's a better fit for more of like a BuzzFeed or a Bored Panda than it is for a USA Today magazine. So I just started making content. Mm. And I, I looked at some different influencers that were out there and the styles of content and I settled on like comedic monologue videos were great. Let's do one about what it's like being a Hillary during an election and all the <laughs> things people say to you. And so I, I made these these first few videos and they were doing remarkably well for me not having an audience, not knowing what I was doing on on Facebook. Then, of course, you know, 2020 happens and all income streams dry up. And I had an acquaintance approach me who had seen some of my con uh, content on Facebook. And he runs one of the largest publishing networks uh, in the world for Facebook watch pages. And he asked if me and my partner would be interested in having a Facebook watch page. Now, my, my partner at the time, he was a professional touring musician. I was a red carpet host. We'd both been making content for a long time in a lot of different ways. We thought, sure, this is going to be super easy. Let's just make three minute videos. No problem. We watch these all the time. How hard could it be? Mm -hmm. Turns out it's a little hard. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> Famous last words. How hard could it be? And I'm glad I didn't know at the front end because I probably wouldn't have stuck it out as long as I did. But we spent nine months banging our heads against the wall, throwing content up, trying to get something to work. We were copying what we saw work for all of these huge influencers and creators that we know were killing it. Mm -hmm. And nothing was working for us. And it was so frustrating and demoralizing. And you begin to think it's you. You begin to think that people don't want to watch you, that maybe you don't have what it takes. And, and then the frustrating part too, is you watch these videos that go viral mm -hmm. and they look so accidental. It looks so easy. It looks like someone just picked up their camera and started filming as someone's making a cake or surprising their friend. And this magical thing just happened to unfold and now it's got 20 million views and what the heck happened? And so we hit a, a breaking point. Uh, we either have to make this work and start making money and monetizing off of the ad revenue. So the plan was we make these videos, Facebook Watch puts in the ads, we get people through the ad break, we split the revenue with Facebook. That was mm -hmm. the primary monetization method at the time. And how do we do that? And so we started asking a different question. What if everything that we thought was accidental in these videos, what if it was really intentional? What if everything that we thought was just accidentally or happenstance to have been chosen was really an intentional decision made on the behalf of the creator? 
So we decided to sit down and lock ourselves in a room for a weekend and we watched thousands of viral videos across all platforms, across all genres and industries. I do not recommend doing this for your mental health, but we created a spreadsheet because what we didn't know is what we didn't know. So what we didn't yep. know is what factors actually influenced a successful video, but we knew based upon seeing the success of these other people around us that there had to be some sort of formula to mm -hmm. work within. So we started noting what happens at second one, what's happening at second three, what's happening at second five, what are they wearing? Mm -hmm. What are they saying? What are the hand gestures? What are the camera angles and the edits? And is there trending audio? And are there hashtags? And what platforms it on? And how long's the video? And we anything we could think of that might play a factor, we made a note of. And then it was very much like John Nash and a beautiful mind and like these numbers just start appearing to us, these, these formulas and these pieces. And what was really fascinating is that it didn't seem to matter what platform the piece of content was on. It mm. didn't seem to matter how long it was, but there were certain things that had to happen in each video in order for it to have viral potential. And specifically, we found three things that needed to be consistent in each video in order for it to have a chance at reaching the widest audience. So we took our findings and we applied that to our next video. And that next video did 5 million views. The video wow. after that, yeah, <laughs> the video after that did 10 million views. And it's not to say that everything that we touched turned to gold, but suddenly we went from zero views in the first nine months to one in every four of our videos doing over a million views, one in every 10 doing over 10 million views. Wow. And within the span of the next 12 months, we had garnered over a billion organic views across platforms. Insane. We built my TikTok following from zero to 400,000 in 40 days, which was wild to watch. And just how you can leverage a video that's doing well mm -hmm. uh, and build on the back of it. If Again, you're engineering the content and you're, you're being really intentional about what you're putting out. So we, we worked for a long time in the content creation space as full-time content creators. And you know, as someone that has a background in brand strategy and journalism and, and just seeing all of these mission-driven messengers who are dying to get in front of their audience, who have these incredible businesses and services to offer and entrepreneurs that need to get in front of their audiences. And there was just such a massive gap between the, the creators, the, the viral video creators and everybody else that wants to get in front of their audiences and them feeling overwhelmed, them not knowing where to start, them not knowing how to get generate their content ideas and, and not knowing what they need to be doing in order to reach their audience. So having such a heart for that, we moved out of the full-time content creation space and, and that being our primary way of revenue to creating attentioneers where we now help personal brands and entrepreneurs, much like yourself, to grow their reach and revenue across all platforms through helping them hone in on short form video wow. and how to make the best short form video for their target audience and create content that their audience is gonna care about. And that also they're not gonna cringe at, right? So yeah. uh, finding the best of both worlds and, and that's where the space that we've been playing in for the past 18 months. Wow, that is so awesome. There's so much, so much uh, that I want to unpack here, so much I want to yeah. talk about. Um, I know that you have a viral video blueprint. I don't know if I'm yes. going to give it away by asking this question, but yeah. you you teased us by saying that there's three main elements of a viral video. You kind of teased us with that. So what yeah. were those three main elements that you discovered early on that kind of, I feel like it kind of unlocked that door for you and suddenly things started to pop off? 
Totally. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think as people start to look at their content, they're going to notice the videos that are doing well or doing better for them probably have all three of these components. And the ones that they love, that they poured their heart and soul into, that maybe aren't performing, they probably are missing at least one of these. Uh, so the first thing, and this feels uh, like very much a no-duh moment, but it has to grab attention. Right. We know statistically that you have zero to two and a half seconds when somebody is scrolling where they're going to make a decision if they're going to give you another two and a half to three seconds. They're not going to watch the whole video. They're going to commit to going in to watch a few more seconds of that video. And so right at the get go, you have to be able to differentiate yourself from everything else that they're seeing in their feed. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. But the, the big crux of this point is that you can write the most amazing book ever. But if nobody buys it, it doesn't matter. You can have the best message on a video to give to somebody that they need to hear. That can only come from you, by the way. And if they don't stop on your video and choose to keep watching it, then it doesn't matter. And so mm -hmm. you have to take this idea that you have to earn attention these days. The average person sees between 10,000 and 20,000 ads every day. 20 million new videos are being posted to social media every single day. There's so much saturation, there's so much noise and so much competition. And our attention spans have gone down by 25% in the past 10 years. So you really have to know that and be okay with that and know that that is your job to overcome the apathy. Mm -hmm. And it is your job to catch attention. So that's the first thing we wanna do is we have to grab attention how are we getting them to stop and ask the question, what's going on here and why do I care? Mm, gotcha. The second thing we have to do is we have to spark an emotion. And that's really also going into the why do I care piece of this? Because people that get emotional get promotional. So if you're able to spark an emotion within somebody, they're more likely to share that video because emotions are what creates relatability. So I share something because I can say, oh my gosh, Brock, this is so you. Oh my gosh, Brock, look, it's so me. Mm -hmm. Look, Brock, it's so us. Isn't this funny? Right? And we, we share for a lot of those reasons because it touches our heart. It makes us think of somebody. There's compassion and empathy or it's infuriating, right? And the emotional piece is why a lot of fake news gets spread six times faster than truthful news, right? It really is hinging on getting getting people to light up that emotional fire. So you want to be thinking about what type of emotion do I want my viewer to feel? So we want to grab attention. We want to spark emotion. Gotcha. And the, the last thing we need to do, and this is the piece that I think a lot of people miss, is we have to create a curiosity gap. So we have to promise them something at the front of the video that we're going to fulfill on. And that can be an answer to a question. That can be the outcome of a, a situation or an answer. The best example of this that I can think of off the top of my head that doesn't even require you to say anything is there's a couple on screen and the guy drops to his knees and he has a ring. Mm -hmm. And so immediately it creates this curiosity gap of, is she going to say yes? Right. And so now if you care about that kind of thing, if emotionally that gets you and you want to know if you're invested, you're watching that video to the end. Right. Yeah. So we want to be setting up our content and thinking about how am I grabbing attention? How am I sparking an emotion and how am I creating a curiosity gap? So there's something that the audience knows that they're waiting for. And yeah. if you start engineering your content in that way, you're going to see a lot more success. Wow. That's awesome. That's that's so practical too. I like I'm thinking yeah. of ideas that are on every end of the spectrum, like super educational niches yep. and niches that are like pure comedy and relatability and humor. Yeah. And so I can totally see how, how this would apply. But um, I know that you also have a viral video blueprint um, yeah. that our audience can download for free. So I'd love if you could tell us about that and where they can grab it. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's nothing more heartbreaking, right, than having someone that has a great message that isn't mm -hmm. getting in front of their audience because they either don't know where to start, they don't know how to do it right, or they've been trying for a while. And because it's not their full-time job, they're not getting traction and they get disheartened and they say it's not for them. Mm -hmm. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to create this free viral video blueprint that helps to solve some of the main pain points that we see people come to us with. So the first one is, what is that main hook, that main thing that's going to grab attention? So we have our hook handbook, which includes 40 tried and true hooks for you to use. It's kind of like a Mad Libs mix and match as to what you want to do to for that opening image, for that opening title to grab attention, as well as some quick and fast rules as to what makes a great hook. Then we have in the viral video blueprint our chat GPT prompts. So a lot of people really struggle with coming up with ideas and utilizing these tried and tested chat GPT prompts. You'll make sure you've got an endless stream of content ideas all the time. And then finally, some people get stuck at different stages within the production process. So we have our viral video workflow template, which helps you to not only map out each shoot and know how you're gonna get a video from idea and conception all the way to posting, but also help you see where in the process Process you are procrastinating or you're struggling with or you're having challenges so you can address it and be able to create a more universal workflow. So that viral video blueprint is available to you guys completely free at attentioneers.com backslash Brock. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yes. And yeah, we'll put that link down in the show notes below um, awesome. so that people can click and go right to it. Um, yeah. I'd love to now talk about this topic um, that just popped into my brain yesterday. Actually, I made a post um, about like a fake Instagram feature that someone had proposed where yeah, uh, if you were going to comment something post. negative, Instagram would kind of pop up with a notification saying like, yeah. hey, you better comment three things positive to balance it out. Um, and <laughs> this, of course, sparked a lot of debate in my comments section, a lot of mm. conversation about what is free speech. But one comment stood out mm. to me um, and it was that the person said, how will I know if I've gone viral if I'm not getting troll and hater comments? Uh -huh. And it made me laugh because it's so true because mm -hmm. that always is such an indication for myself, yeah. no matter what platform I'm on. If I start to see even just a handful of negative comments, that immediately tells me, oh, this video is going viral. Because oftentimes the people mm. who are, you know, longtime followers, they're lifers, they're fans, whatever you want to call yeah. them, like they're not going to say anything negative because mm. they, they know you or they appreciate you. They know where sure. your heart's at. But as soon as it reaches that new audience who doesn't know you, boom, the haters and the trolls and the negative comments start to show up, start to flood in. Yep. Um, so let's start with how do you personally deal with these, these negative comments, these trolls and these haters? It's been an evolution over the years. And I think as somebody that has struggled with perfectionism, mm -hmm. I used to take so much time on the front end with my scripts to try to figure out, not just like engineer it to be a great piece of content, but try to figure out where people were going to argue with me about this silly comedy monologue video that I was making purely for entertainment and talk about what a waste of energy, mm, right? To yeah. try to pre-think about where people were gonna take umbrage with me is just such a waste of everyone's time, especially my own. Mm -hmm. And and it still didn't solve the problem, right? Yeah. Um, and so over the years, again, having to take that air of curiosity, what I learned very quickly, especially when I was posting content that I was really proud of, it's easier when 
maybe you're questioning yourself or you're insecure about something or you feel vulnerable putting something up and you get that comment, it's really easy to integrate that into your being and saying, oh my gosh, they're so right. But if Brock, if I was to comment on your video and be like, oh my gosh, Brock, you are such a purple hippo, you'd probably just laugh at me. Cause one, you know that you're not a purple hippo and I know that you're not a purple hippo. And the comment is just a ridiculous comment, mm -hmm. right? That clearly either I'm just trying to get a laugh out of you or there's something up in my world. Yeah. So the only time that it actually matters is when we have an unconscious belief about ourselves that we're holding on to, that mm. then we allow that to then manifest and magnify based upon somebody else's feedback. If someone mm. is just going off about something that's blatantly untrue or that I don't believe about myself, it's very easy to brush those aside, right? It's when you care or there's a nerve there or a wound that you have that is, it, it just allows it to bring it to the surface. So a couple mm. things, the, the first one being, anytime you find yourself getting activated by somebody else's comment, it's a great chance to go in and reflect and say, interesting, what's true for me here? What, what do I believe about myself that's allowing me to get activated by this? Because if I wasn't, I'd feel neutral about it and understand that this has nothing to do with me. The second being that most of the time, I would say 90% of the time, anybody's reaction to anything in your life pretty much has nothing to do with you and everything to do with their own beliefs, their own preconceived notions. I remember I posted this video and it was of, uh, it was a viral video of me getting gifted uh, a rescue dog. Okay. And it was such a sweet video. And it was all about like, we wanted to showcase that you can adopt and rescue older dogs and like have this sweet moment. And it was such a beautiful video. And I made a comment because on like one of the cards that I was holding, my partner had misspelled a word. Mm. And it was like a cute little interaction. And this woman got in the comments to start telling me like how abusive I was by making this offhanded comment. And it was so interesting because it took up until that moment, which at this point I made thousands of viral videos, right? And just like mm -hmm. kind of trying to like slough off the comment section. And it was like, oh, it just turned on one day, this idea of this has everything to do with her rules and beliefs about what that looks like. And mm -hmm. absolutely nothing to do with who I am as a person mm -hmm. and absolutely nothing to do with the what's true in this situation. And you have to also remember that your content is your content and you are separate from your content. Mm -hmm. So who you are as a person and your value, now hopefully your values and your voice are coming through to your content. So there's some synergy and overlap and the people that love you can come to your defense. And you know, we have the Taylor Swift effect, but that's a great example too. There's this woman, the most powerful woman probably in the world that a lot of people don't like her and they have their own personal reasons for why they don't like her even though she does so much good in the world and she's creating so much change in the music industry and she's bringing in new little girls into football to you know be able to bond with their dads in a way that they haven't seen before and there's still people out there that are just going to hate her because she's taylor swift yep. and so you have to you have to remember that that a lot of the times when you see somebody coming at you in a comment, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with where they're at in their life and what their rules are for life. And the minute that I was able to absorb that into my being, my relationship to the comment section became very different. And I started approaching people with so much more compassion because you just start to see the box that they're putting themselves in. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to impact you. And in fact, I what I love to do in situations like that, if it if it feels like, this person is a person like sometimes too especially when you get to that viral level people forget that there's real people behind the camera absolutely 
they forget that you're still a person that you care. And so there's an opportunity there. If someone's, you know, going after you, Brock, in the comments for you to comment back and, and ask them questions. Interesting. Tell me more about why you feel that way. Or mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more. And if you don't respond with vitriol or vengeance or like immediately snap back and instead treat them like a person. Yeah. It's so interesting how almost immediately they flip. Usually there's an apology. And again, like what's worth your time and effort, right? But what that also does is it allows your brand and your values to speak through and allows the other viewers and followers to see that and that this is how you respond to this type of conflict and who you are at your core. Mm -hmm. And that just creates even more raving fans. Mm -hmm. So there's always an opportunity within that to, to do that if you choose, but you have to be able to then let it go at the end of the day and know that it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think that there is anyone out there who is successful that doesn't have somebody that is saying something about them because they're just dealing with their own stuff or their own insecurities or their own rules about what how success should look or who success should belong to or not belong to mm -hmm. and um and the sooner i think that we can all realize that that we're all just living in our own worlds of rules and, and boundaries and just allow yourself to only let in what you absolutely want to mm -hmm. and that that's my job is to be my own my own filter uh life gets a lot better yeah I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said, and I hope everyone who listened um, is now rewinding so that they can re-listen to everything you just uh. said again so that it really hits home. Um, there's a really personal story that I've never shared with anyone on the planet that what? you speaking right now just sparked in me, a memory in me. It's a kind of funny, embarrassing memory, but I think it will illustrate your point hopefully well. Um, I could share a million different hilarious things that people have said in my comments section that I've screenshotted and written down because yeah. they, they make me laugh. But instead, I wanted to share something that I did one time. And this was when I was maybe in high school. So let's say yeah. it was uh, maybe like 10 years ago now. Okay. I was down a rabbit hole of a rabbit hole of a rabbit hole. I had gone like 15 pages deep, just scrolling one late one night late on Instagram. Um, and I found this random guy's profile. No idea who he is. I Again, it's like an 18th level connection here. Yeah. Not even a viral video. I'm scrolling down on his page again for no reason other than curiosity. And I see a picture of dinosaurs and I'm curious, why is this person cool. posting a picture of dinosaurs? I click on it and I read his caption about how can dinosaurs have been alive millions of years ago when the earth is only 2012 years old, because that is when Jesus came to earth. And that was his caption. Oh. And, and his entire account, I later realized was satire. He was making a joke. He also had about a hundred followers. So this was a joke meant for his close friends and they thought it was funny. But me being some random late at night in whatever headspace I was, yeah. I clicked on that, that post and I was like, no, silly. I, I probably didn't call him silly. I was like, the earth <laughs> is more than 2012 years old. And I like kind of like got on my high horse and explained it to him. And it wasn't until maybe a few months or a few years later that I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I was that person who was leaving like a troll corrector, Karen type, whatever you want to call it, comment late at night on some random guy's post who has got like a hundred followers and he's just posting for his friends. So I say that to say, A, um, I wanted to tell that story and embarrass myself, but B, to your point, you just never really know where someone's at, you know, and that's me who like, I, I wasn't having a bad day. I wasn't, you know, at a low point and looking to kind of like spread more negativity. I was just like yeah. 
a random kid who was not in on the joke in the middle of the night one time scrolling on Instagram. So it really can be anyone, but it's important to remember um, the haters. It's important for them to remember that there is a person on the other side of the video. And as the creators who are going viral, we have to remember that even those negative Nancy's, the haters and the trolls, they're real people too. And so I love that totally. uh, the way you kind of illustrated different ways that we can humanize them and uh, kind of bring them back to earth a little bit and show our own values and beliefs. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, well, and I thank you for sharing that. I got goosebumps while you were saying that because I think it's so important to remember that for as you know, we feel like we're the warriors going in and, and trying to, to make this great content and, and we're the ones that are being vulnerable and putting ourselves out there. And the truth mm -hmm. is, at some point, in some way, we have all been that person that has said something about somebody because we think that what they're doing, I mean, we all armchair quarterback this on Monday, <laughs> right? We, we all are going to watch the Super Bowl yep. and everyone's going to have opinions about the players mm -hmm. and how they what they should have done and, and about the, per the halftime performance and whether or not it was good. Like, we all just get to carry these opinions with no no uh, consequences whatsoever. And we just now live in an age where we get to see that <laughs> more blatantly than probably ever before. So mm -hmm. I love that you share that because <laughs> it also just shows like, let's give everybody some grace here that we've all done it. Mm -hmm. And you just happen to be that person that they found at two in the morning and they don't, they're, they're not your audience and mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. And what a beautiful thing too, right? Like you don't have to be everybody's tea and you're just looking to connect with your target audience. And what a great problem to have where you've got so so many comments coming in that some people don't like. Oh, so I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell this story. Just reminded me. Go for it. I went to a, a book launch party for Elizabeth Gilbert and Elizabeth Gilbert wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she was releasing her next book. It was a, a fiction book called City of Girls. And we were in this library theater and this woman, she was doing a Q&A after she had talked about the book. And this woman stands up and was like, hey, Elizabeth, like have this like really serious question to ask you. And she's like, sure, go for it. She's like, well, how do you deal with the fact that so many people ha hate, eat, pray, love? How do you deal with the fact that it has gotten so many criticisms and has not been widely acclaimed? Like, and, and like almost her, her whole tone was like, you have to feel really bad about yourself mm. that this book, you know, people don't like this book. And Elizabeth took a moment and she almost started laughing. And she's like, well, first of all, you have to remember that when I wrote that book, I didn't write it thinking that it was going to be read by the audience that it was. She had already written multiple books. They hadn't been New York Times bestsellers. They hadn't reached that kind of fame. And she's like, so first of all, it was a very personal journey that I decided to share and put out there. And secondly, boo-hoo, 15 million people bought my book and some of them didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and now Julia Roberts stars in a movie about my book. Like, I'm okay. It's fine. It's not for everybody. And that I think is just something we've got to remember is that the goal isn't to be liked by everybody. The goal is to do that calling that's here on your heart and to have that mission and be able to move forward to help the people that really need to hear it from you. And that's why you feel called to get on camera and talk about it. It's not because of Joe Schmo at two in the morning. It's because it's Stacy in Ohio mm -hmm. and she really needs your help right now. So let's not get detracted with all the noise that's out there and instead stay focused on the mission and how you show up and respond to Joe Schmo is also going to be able to help Stacy in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned um, earlier that you are a recovering perfectionist and I yeah. put myself in that category as well. And so my question is how have you been able to get to this point where you can now look at the haters and the trolls and the negative comments in the ways that you can, um, 
and and how have you gotten to this point where you can even consider yourself a uh, recovering perfectionist? Well, it's interesting because I think I would have I. I've used that language a lot, recovering perfectionist. And I just started reading a book called The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control. And one of the things that I love about it is she talks about there's nothing to recover from. That really it's just about learning to embrace and wield the positive aspects of perfectionism versus staying in the negative behaviors that mm. it showcases. And the more that you can accept, first of all, who you are, like, I'm always going to be someone that wants things to be perfect. I'm always going to have high standards. I'm always going to have unrealistic expectations as to what things are going to look like and how it's going to go. And, and for myself too, and how I want to show up. And I want to be the best guest that you've ever had. And I want us to have this deep connection and I want to have massive value for your audience. And they may or may not feel that way. Right. <laughs> but that's what I go in wanting to, to, and, and I'm probably always going to be that person. I'm not just going to wake up one day and be okay with being lazy. I'm not going to wake up one day and suddenly lose all my drive and motivation and, and my ambition and the impact that I want to have on the world. And that has to be okay with me. And I have to, first of all, I think I'm just starting to embrace that there isn't something wrong with me, that I was made this way because there's there's something that I'm supposed to do and wield in a particular way that's going to allow me to have more impact. So I've even just in the past few weeks been shifting how I relate to myself when it comes to perfectionism. Mm. Then I would say the other biggest thing you know, there's always people that get under your skin just where you are energetically. But one, it's it's recognizing that my value does not live in somebody's external opinion, especially somebody on the internet who doesn't know me, who I'm not here to serve, and uh, who isn't trying to improve the world or make it better, mm -hmm. right? So I, I've really got to be careful, we all do, as to the people in our lives that we choose to take opinions from. And you know, you can get relationship advice from lots of people. Do they have the relationship that you want? Do they have the money and career that you want? Do they, are they fulfilled in their life? Do they have the lifestyle that you want? If they don't, why are you listening to them? Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of people out there that'll be happy to give your opinion. Everybody has one. And so the, it, it really comes down to discernment and starting to value yourself enough and value who you keep around you enough to know even if somebody is giving you their opinion that you love and you care about, like knowing when it's appropriate to internalize it and when it's like, okay, I, it's good to hear what this is, what this person thinks about it, but I don't need to make that my reality or that's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And not needing to internalize that. So there, that's a big piece of it, of knowing your value and knowing which people to, to keep around you. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm also really working on taking care of myself and advocating for my own mental health and well-being off of offline, right? We mm -hmm. spend all of our lives online and looking at content and, and it's a fantastic way to connect. And I know that I need to do certain things to protect my energy and I am more susceptible to getting into the DMs or the comments with somebody about some comment or, or, or feeling more triggered by that if I'm not well rested, if I haven't eaten something, if I haven't you know, gone to the sauna or seen a friend or you know, read a good book lately, if I haven't mm -hmm. done these things to, to protect my mental health so I can go in there my most grounded. Yeah. Um, and if I'm not my most grounded, I now just choose to stay away from that because it's it doesn't help me. And I even just like having to be aware of like when I start doom scrolling and being like, okay, time time to put the phone down and I got to go do something else yeah. now because this is no this is no longer serving my energy to be in this space. Um, and yeah, and I think the the biggest one is recognizing that your value does not lie in some out side person's opinion and mm -hmm. the more that you can find the value within yourself and and know what you bring to the table and know that 
and surround yourself with people that see that and are reflecting that back to you, whether it's in real life or online and just choosing to put those blinders on, I think the easier it becomes. But part of that just takes practice and intention. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of work to, especially in our day where we have so many things buzzing and ringing and dinging for our attention. And we've got, we're streaming on our computers and we're streaming on our phones and we're streaming on our TVs. And there's everywhere has a computer. It's, it's really hard to learn to support yourself in that way. And so um, that's that's where I focus. What about you? Do you do you have like a practice that you take offline to support yourself in your online presence? Yeah, I think I would echo everything that you just said. Um, I think it being very ongoing is is absolutely the case. It's never something that's sure. necessarily done and finished. Like, oh yeah, yeah you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm done with that now, or I don't yeah. ever have to worry about feeling that way ever again. Um, yeah. For me, it, it started with therapy, and I'm a big believer and proponent of therapy. And then totally. Um, since uh, doing years of intensive therapy, I'm now at a place where I'm in a like maintenance where I'm I'm listening to podcasts and reading books to remind myself of the things that I need to hear. Um, but also, I'm a big uh, fan of of finding joy in my life, and uh, mm -hmm. thankfully, my wife is a really big supporter of me finding joy and detaching from my work um, yeah. because I feel like as entrepreneurs, we can kind of get sucked into this void where. I could create another video. I could stay up later and finish editing this. I could yeah. script out this thing when it's instead it's important. Um, even though we don't necessarily work a traditional nine to five, I stop at five every day. If I even work that long, most days it's right. not, but I stop at five. I'm going to cook dinner, eat dinner with my wife. We're going to watch Netflix and unplug. Um, and yeah. it's even gotten to the point now where I'm not going to read a personal development or a business related book after 5 p.m. I'm not going to listen to that podcast. Yeah. And if I catch myself slipping into this space where I'm like um, thinking of ideas or brainstorming the next thing or uh, I'm in the headspace where I'm scrolling through TikTok for ideas and inspiration and to take components of videos rather than scrolling through TikTok for, for pure mindless entertainment, right. I'm like, oh. I better stop thinking, and it sounds weird to say this, I better stop being productive. <laughs> no. I better go into like, hey, I want to watch videos of, of puppies right now so I can kind of unplug. Do you kind of catch yourself doing those those same things as oh, well? Totally. I mean, I love what you said about that and, and the need to unplug. I think it's, and it's so important for you to understand your own motivations behind something, mm -hmm. right? Am I doing this for work? Am I doing this for pleasure? Because we are so tapped in and connected all the time. It's just, it's too easy to pick up your phone and get right back to it if you wanted to. I think that's so powerful that you do that for yourself and that you put in those boundaries of, nope, I'm done working. I recently too had to make the shift from reading personal development books to I'm now reading like sci-fi fantasy fiction. And it's yeah. like, I'm so excited every night to like get done with work to go read about dragons. And it, it's such a fun way to, to decompress where before, mm -hmm. I think this is part of the perfectionist mindset, right? Where you start reading a personal development book and you're like, oh crap, I got to take notes and yep. I got to implement this right away. And like, what am I not doing? Like me just make sure, cause I want to grow and mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm internalizing this. And so just even recognizing within that game of your, and the awareness of yourself of, you know what? This isn't serving me. Yeah. And what I've had to realize is that we have to be our own coaches like mm. if we are on an MBA team right like I have to think of myself like an athlete and I do a terrible job of this but I'm gonna tell you to do it because I think it is important where 
you, you have to think of not only yourself as the player, but having a higher self that is the coach because the coach is going to push you for peak performance. They're not just gonna push you to get the most baskets for one game. They're not just gonna push you for the most turnovers in one game. They're not gonna push you for like the highest scoring game once, right? They want the sustainability mm -hmm. and the performance throughout the whole season. So they're gonna do everything in their power to mitigate burning you out. So there's going to be days where it's, yep, you're doing sprints. Yep, you're running laps. Yep, we're doing drills. Then there's going to be days where you're on the court and you're practicing. And then there's going to be days where you're actually in the game. And then there's also going to be rest days. Mm -hmm. And I think often we as entrepreneurs and performers and high performers, we forget about that. That if, just like you said, oh, am I, am I being productive right now? I need to stop being productive right now. And it does sound silly, but what you're doing is you're making the mental decision of I'm gonna shut down what I think is productive right now for the benefit of being more productive tomorrow, mm -hmm. knowing that this rest time is what's gonna get me the gains that I want tomorrow. And it's just, it's too easy to be like, I'm just gonna read one more email. I'm just, it's so, it's so accessible, right? So those boundaries are so important to have. And, I, and what's great about you and your wife is like you're able to be accountability partners in yeah. that and say yeah nope tell me shut my computer my laptop down when it's five o'clock tell me it's time for dinner um, and being able to leverage somebody else's willpower <laughs> to help you yeah become less productive in order to become more productive absolutely i would love to land the plane uh kind yeah. of circling back to the conversation of virality but from a different angle mm. you've had videos tens of dozens of videos that are uh, tens of millions of views. And I think your highest on TikTok, at least that I saw was over 70 million, like 72 million views. That's astronomically high. Yeah. But of course there are the exceptions, right? There are the videos that don't even hit a million views. Yeah. Um, the videos yeah. that don't go viral. And so I'm curious, what's the story that you tell yourself when the views are low or the engagement just isn't there? Mm, it's a great, great question. Well, the first thing is I believe that there's a difference between professional creators and amateur creators. Mm. And it doesn't come down to capacity. It doesn't come down to the capacity to learn how to make great content, right? A lot of this is just reps. But the biggest difference is how precious amateurs hold on to their content. So my saying is that amateurs hope for the best professionals post and test. <sighs> so where an amateur might post a video and put all of their hopes and dreams behind it and be like, here's this video. I've worked a week on it. I really hope everybody likes it. I'm so excited about it. It's something that I care a lot about. And then they post it and they get crickets. They internalize that, they get defeated. And well, nobody likes me, I'm done. There's nothing else to be done about it. And they just, they decide that that platform doesn't work for them. They decide their audience isn't there. Like insert limiting yes. belief here as to why it's not working. Meanwhile, a professional will be like, oh, interesting, that didn't work. I wonder why, what can I fix? What can I test and tweak on the next one? Is it the captions? Is it the starting point of the video? Is it the music? Is it the whole, I don't need to reconfigure the entire thing altogether. What am I saying at the front of the video? Maybe I should, maybe I should switch that. Like we knew creators, again, like when they're full-time, their monetization, this was their thing that would post a video. And if it wasn't performing the way that they wanted it to within the first couple hours, they'd pull it down and they'd re-edit it and they'd put it back up. And if that wasn't working, they'd pull it down and they'd re-edit it and put it back up. Like you're talking about creators that are making so much money and they, they take their job very seriously. But because of that, they're not holding tightly to any one piece of content. There is nothing precious about that. And they said, okay, I made a, I made a hypothetical decision, I made a hypothesis as to where this is going to best be the best starting point and the best video concept, and it didn't work. 
cool, mm-hmm. let me reshoot it. That didn't work. Maybe I should move on. Maybe I should try editing and try it again. So I think there's a lot to the element of, I mean, we engineer content all the time, trying to keep all of our principles in mind and what we know to work. And like our goal, your goal as a creator is to engineer the best video possible, but we can't control the algorithms. We Mm -hmm. can't control what happens when we go to a platform. I mean, I can't even tell you, Brock, the number of videos that I posted to my account that then somebody ripped and put on their account and it did better on, I lost 40 million views on a video because I refused to post it on TikTok after it didn't perform on another platform because Mm -hmm. I thought the video was crap. And I was so excited about it. And then I didn't post it anywhere else because it wasn't doing well. And I said, well, that video didn't work. And then this guy who had a hundred followers took the video, posted it, got 40 million views on the video. It made international news headlines. And I got no credit for it because I wasn't willing to take the risk to see if it would do well on another platform. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot to just, one, making sure that you're engineering the content to give it its best go, be as intentional as possible, and then release it. And then continue and being okay with letting this to be iterative. I mean, you're a phenomenal example of this, right? Like you posted a video a day for a year, and I bet that you didn't take one single video performance to be the end of your page or that one didn't do well, so I, I should give up and pack it in, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you you had to probably keep a very flexible and resilient mindset of, I'm committed to posting a video every day and just seeing, and that curiosity of let's just see where that goes. Mm-hmm. And it had an amazing result for you. But I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, I, I would assume that that's, that was such a big part of, of your success too, is just being willing to get in the trenches and try. Yep. Always be testing. That's what I say. And that's also what I uh, advise. That's how I tell people to look at it because I also feel like kind of what you were saying, when you look at it as a test, it feels much less personal. It's yeah. much more data driven. It's analytical. It's not something that you're taking personally or something that you're applying your own self-worth to because this video didn't do very well. Instead, you can revisit the hook. You can revisit yeah. your call to action. You can revisit the the caption, like you said, and and analyze and see how to make it better. Um, I, I totally agree. And Hillary, really, this has been such an, an enlightening conversation. Um, yeah. Getting to learn about virality is something that I was really curious to learn more about myself because while I definitely have thought that there's, you know, blueprints and there's there's some things that like elements that every viral video has, I was like, eh, for the most part, it's luck. And of course, we can't control the algorithms. There always are an element of luck in these things. But I think you've shown us today that it is something that can be formulaic and it can be mm-hmm. repeatable. And I definitely want everyone who's who listened today, who enjoyed the podcast to uh, grab that blueprint from down in the show notes, uh, yeah. visit the link. And I really just want to thank you because this was such a great conversation. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Um, I'm so happy that you reached out via direct message and that we were able to make this happen. So thank you for sharing so much with us today, Hillary. Um, it was really a pleasure. It was my pleasure as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to check Hillary out on every social media. We'll make sure to tag her in the show notes. Make sure to download that viral video blueprint, which is also in the show notes below this episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to press the follow or subscribe button, depending on whichever platform you're on. That way, each and every new podcast that we release automatically shows up on your podcast app and you don't have to worry about downloading it or finding the new episodes. I'll see you next time. And until then, stay awesome.